Good evening, everyone. It is a Monday night, 8.30 at night. That means it is time for Whiskey in History. And we are here, episode three. Uh, my buddy Pete's with me. How are you, Pete? Yes, sir. Thanks I for love it. Me. Hey, no problem. Uh, well, you got to fill in today, buddy, because Justin couldn't make it. But that's okay. Pete and I can I'll handle the show. Pick up the slack. We can handle it. And with us, our special guest, Greta Harper. And uh, Greta, tell us about yourself. You work for Makers Mark. I do. I have the best job on the planet, um, for sure. I used to always think that being an astronaut was the best job. But then I realized that I would never go into outer space. Um, so I've been in the industry about 20, 25 years now. So it's been an interesting ride. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I have been in the beer industry for the last... Um, uh, eight or nine years, I, I ran restaurants for uh, a solid, um, gosh, I don't know, I was in the industry for 16 years. Pete, when I started managing Leo's up in Petoskey, you know, I was 19. That was about 20 years ago, wasn't it, John? Yeah, about 21 years ago. Yeah. 21. There you go. Yeah, wacky. Wacky. It goes fast. So. goes really fast, especially in this industry. It goes so fast. So normally we talk about, you know, what kind of whiskey we're drinking and we get some varied answers, but I feel like there's going to be a theme tonight. I have mine. Yeah, yeah. I have mine. <laughs> well, I hope the bosses don't mind. We kind of, you know, spoofed your label up there in the corner on the whiskey in history. No, that looks great. I was just, I just but... noticed that um, tonight. <laughs> so total coincidence. It's been there for uh, a while before we were introduced. So um, that is awesome. So I'm going to ask you, you're the expert. Okay. So I got, um, you know, I've got my standard makers. Okay. Yep. Um, and then about an hour before the show, I picked up uh Hard to see up there with the lights, but the SE4PR5. So are you a, a ice cube, a no ice cube, a straight up? What, what's, what's the right way? Um, the right way is however you want to drink it. Uh -huh. uh, I still remember one of the first distillery visits I ever went to um, was Beam. I think it was the second distillery I ever went to. And I got to see Fred No just talk to people. And somebody asked him that exact same question. He said, I don't give a good goddamn how you drink this whiskey. <laughs> Drink it however you want. <laughs> so God that is you. what I've stuck with. Uh, well, I figure I'm going to drink the regular makers in one hand and the SE4 in the other hand. I figure that's how I'm going to do it. Well, double fisting isn't bad either. Yeah. Not at all. I like it. So tell me about this because I really just learned about this. Um, I, I'm a whiskey fan. I wouldn't say I'm a aficionado. I'm not a, I'm not a whale chaser. Um, I'll drink some nice whiskey with friends. Um, but I just started seeing people looking for the, the, what the SE one, everybody's all crazy for the, uh, the FAEO one is yes. 2021. Yep. Yeah, so that's... we've been Margie named makers, um, back in the fifties. So Bill came up. So the story goes, Bill junior, or excuse me, Bill senior came up with everything inside the bottle. So everything that you drink that is Maker's Mark is one mash bill, which we'll get to in a little bit because we're going to talk about all about grains, um, which is 70% corn, 16% soft red winter wheat, 14% malted barley. Margie, his wife, actually came up with everything else. So the bottle shape, the name Maker's Mark, um, the hand-torn label, and the red wax drip, that was all Margie. Um, and ever since Margie stopped naming things with Maker's, um, and the rest of the family took over. We've not been the best at naming things. So we had 46, we had CAST, we had RC6, SE4PR5, now FAEO1. So it's just like, <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for. I like it. All right. So I'm going to try them both side by side. Mm -hmm. 
and, and these perfect glasses. Awesome. That's perfect. Awesome. Now I forgot which one was which. Okay, <laughs> I got it. So they're both the exact same mash bill. Mm -hmm. and so we, what's the difference here? We're, we're playing with um, uh, staves. Is that what the difference is? Yes. Yep. Wood finishing. Pete, what were you going to say? No, I was I was dipping staves. <laughs> I have been to the uh, I've been to the, the 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 factory. Obviously, I'm an ambassador for life. Um, my daughters are the ones who actually got me signed up. I had no idea that the ambassador program was like even existent, and years ago. And I think my barrel came up like I don't know 2014 or 2015, and we made a trip. We have friends in Louisville, and anyway, the French oak. You know, in the uh, they were just starting the uh, 46 back then. I think it was, I forget what year, but um, uh, dipping the staves, you know, in the yeah. barrels, you know, that thing. So that's what I was doing. I was pantomiming dipping staves. <laughs> <laughs> These are staves. <laughs> These are staves. So it's kind of hard to, I mean, if you don't, if you're not at the distillery and you don't see the process happen, it's kind of hard to explain and hard to wrap your brain around. So we made this little cutout upside down so this is a normal whiskey barrel and regular makers mark classic makers mark is matured from five to seven years um it goes everything goes into the barrel at 110 proof and then we mature it for five to seven years we've never had an age statement but with makers 46 we put these little wafer staves in so we put 10 of them in for nine weeks cool temperatures 50 to 55 degrees um and that's just our finishing process so with the wood finishing series that you have, John, mm -hmm. that's just a different stave that amplifies different flavors in Classic Maker's Mark. Yeah. There is like such like a... Pete, I don't remember what the name of the place up on the island, but my favorite thing is these big honking soft caramel chews that are like vanilla caramel chews. Oh, and they're, they're just like two inches long and like a, a, they like a roll of dimes and I can't remember which store I get them from, but it's one of my favorite things when I go up there and that's what I'm getting out of this maker's mark. Like if you poured your regular maker's mark and just let that big old like vanilla caramel chew just kind of melt in there. It, it's such a caramel bomb. It's really good. Yeah. So that's actually a perfect tasting note for the SE4 PR5. We wanted to highlight the vanilla and caramel notes in makers. Those are two of the biggest, mm -hmm. um, flavor notes that we're known for is vanilla and caramel. And that's what we wanted to highlight with that year's wood finishing. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's kind of an inside tale. Now my wife and I uh, met while working together at a restaurant when I was the, the manager and she was one of the employees and it was a, it was a forbidden <laughs> romance. So uh, one of the first things we did um, the first weekend we got away, we decided to go. Um, well, we wanted to see the Moonbow at Cumberland falls is what we wanted to see. So we drove down to Cumberland Falls, Kentucky, and uh, we, we rented a little cabin and, and we saw the Moonbow, which if you've never been down there, it's one of the only places in the world where on a clear night, there's so much mist coming up off of the falls in Cumberland that you get a grayscale rainbow over the falls and they call it the Moonbow. That sounds beautiful. It was unbelievable. And so we were down there. Now, Cumberland Falls is not anywhere near Makers. It's on the other side of the state. Um, but then we decided to do the bourbon trail and just kind of work our way back through. And then we went to Makers. We signed up for the ambassador program. We put our names on the barrel, the whole works. Um, and then, of course, about seven and a half years later, we managed to get down there and, and uh, you know, collect some, some from, the, from the barrel, which was really fun. 
Um, it was awesome. And as I was talking to you on the phone a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, we got to go down there. And so their regular tour is what, like a half an hour, 45 minute tour. There's, you know, you go down a bus with dozens of people, you kind of do a quick thing around, right? Go through the mash and see the bottles being dipped. Well, then ambassadors have the ability to come. And I think it's every other Thursday or every other Tuesday, they do a special ambassadors. And then uh, that's more like a three hour tour and maybe like four or five hour tour if, if uh, Bill's <laughs> doing it. So we were lucky enough. Uh, Bill Samuel Jr. is the guy that climbed on the little bus with about 10 of us that day. And uh, he had just handed the reins off to Bob. He had just freshly retired. <laughs> so I always call. And it was awesome. I always call those tours. Um, those are Thursday heritage tours with mm -hmm. Bill. And I call them the Gilligan's Island tours. I don't know if anybody else on my team does that. Um, but <laughs> So my <laughs> guess is it wasn't supposed to be three hours long. No, it <laughs> It randomly is. I mean, yeah. you never know. It's about four hours long. You don't know where you're going to end up. He takes you <laughs> parts of the distillery that people shouldn't normally go. And nobody's going to tell him no because he's Bill Jr. So he like walks into Regage and he's like, hey, guys, how you doing? We're going to check this out today. And he just like toodles around and he has so many great stories. You absolutely never know exactly what's going to happen on one of those tours. Oh, man, my favorite part. Um, and I have some pictures. I should have loaded them up to share with you. But uh, they took us into the old house um, where they used to do the family business in the in his dad's office. And, you know, he just started pointing around the room. He's like, yeah, that gun on the wall. My, my great, great, great grandmother was married to one of the Jesse James gang boys. And that's one of their guns. And that letter on the wall is the first time the Republican Party tried to get Abraham Lincoln to run for president. And it's his refusal letter back to the people. And, and it was just absolutely fascinating. And there, then there's a picture of him with Colonel Sanders because he was Colonel Sanders driver as his first job. <laughs> I mean, the stories just keep on going. It's unreal. So yeah. um, so one of the things, you know, you're passionate about is the anthropology of the grains, uh, the wheat, the rye, the barley, the whole works. Um, did I have a base idea kind of, um, you know, people settled that area and part of the, the government deal was you can have this land, but you have to uh, grow a native crop. And the native crop was red, red rye, red wheat. So um, something along those lines. So the native crop um, for us is corn. Mm -hmm. So corn is the native crop to the Americas. Wheat actually came over with the settlers from Europe. Um, and depending on where the settlers came from, um, they planted the wheat seeds that they had um, growing in their hometown. So <laughs> Kentucky is mostly uh, Western European. Um, and that was soft red winter wheat. So if you look at um, maps of the United States, um, you can actually follow immigration patterns and see where different wheats were planted. So soft red winter wheat was mid-Atlantic all the way to the Mississippi. Um, and then you have your Russian immigrant farmers um, that actually brought hard red winter wheat, and that's going to be mostly northern Great Plains. Yeah, that's... It just depended on which seeds grew best where they were from. Oh, that's amazing. So... Um... I mean, I, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit of like kind of why the bourbon trail settled where it, where it did and why that, you know, bourbon and whiskey out of Tennessee and Kentucky is just so overwhelmingly popular. How did that really become a thing? Was it just the just I know that's a big question. I'm sorry, <laughs> like putting you on the spot here. But like, um, is, is that just a, a happenstance of the people that settled there and the crops that they grew? Um, I, um, I know like the big bourbon houses were really just like 
they were all more or less related. And I remember hearing stories of like the one guy was apprenticed to, to, to uh, Jack Daniels. And, and, you know, they all basically kind of grew up as like a, a family. Um, well, so the history of bourbon is written by Trump. So it's a little bit difficult to believe <laughs> everything that you hear or read. Um, what I will say is a lot of it. So when I was younger and I was learning about history, I absolutely love history and anthropology. Um, I learned history in like a, a linear line, right? And you think about it in a timeline and that's not really how it works. It's more like historicity where there's like these little big bangs everywhere and there's pushes and pulls from every different direction. So um, where to start? Because that is a huge, huge question. Um, after the Revolutionary War, we were we were absolutely- Pete's older. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Not a problem. The ambassador program is amazing. Um, so we were absolutely bankrupt as a country. Um, and farmers, um, farmers are the original distillers, right? Um, even if you go back to ancient times where grains come from, and we can get into that if you want to, um, <clears throat> the very first recipe ever written um, was a recipe for beer. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. So that was in Ur and Uruk in ancient Samaria. But anyways, fast forward to um, revolutionary times, we were bankrupt and the very first tax that was passed was on whiskey. So that was in the Pennsylvania area. There was actually a whiskey rebellion and those farmers in Western Pennsylvania actually moved down to the Kentucky area. They were usually Scotch Irish, um, very clannish. They kept to themselves for sure. They didn't really trust the government, especially after they just got taxed. Um, but there was a huge amount of rye in Pennsylvania. So even today, two of the major three ryes that are grown are named after the rivers in Pittsburgh. So you have Allegheny rye and Monongahela rye. Really? Yeah. So wow. that was a tidbit I learned from um, Dave Pickerel back in like 2012, 2013. I thought that was super interesting, but rye grows That's better nice. in colder climates. So when they migrated down to Kentucky because land was cheap and nobody was bothering them down there because it was the frontier, um, they took all their distilling knowledge with them. But in Kentucky, rye didn't grow as well as wheat did. Um, so some people, like the Stitzel Wallers, started to uh, distill with wheat. So wheat is our flavoring grain. So you guys know the rules of bourbon. Bourbon has to be at least 51% corn, which is our native grain. And now yeah. it's shipped all over the world. Um, and you can choose a flavoring grain, rye or wheat, um, and then there's usually a bit of barley in there for the amylase enzyme. Excellent. Um, I um, I really kind of like the maker's line because it's always been um, a, a little on the sweeter side. It's got a little little softer tone. I know the 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 hip thing is these barrel proof, these hugely you know harsh flavors, and and I get it, I dig it. I like my big bold astringent wines, and and I drink my coffee black, and I you know I like I like that big bold flavor. But for me, the bourbon, and I think what really drove me to Maker's Mark to start with was just that kind of really nice sweetness. So I can't get into the Irish and the Scotch because I'm just so um, used to that kind of more sweet rounded flavors of the bourbons. Um, uh, and, and even this um, SE4 PR5, it really, it doesn't ring off the tongue. Yeah, work on that. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't just flow off the tongue. The FAEO one is slightly yeah. better than that one. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. But this winter wheat actually has a lower protein um, mm -hmm. content in the wheat kernels than the hard red winter wheat. Um, and it's used more for cookies, pastries, cake, baking, uh, mm -hmm. things like that. And that translates a lot into the final flavor. So 70% uh, of the taste and flavor comes from the wood and the other 30% comes from the grain, the distillation process and the yeast. That's amazing. My wife's chiming in here. Uh, my biggest fan here. Greta, you are <laughs> fascinating. Can we be friends? <laughs> Not really that fascinating. <laughs> She's upstairs also enjoying some makers I left for her up there. So I didn't bring it all downstairs. I left some up there. I like it. All right. So where do you want to go with this? You, you, um, you know, you, you were pretty excited about kind of telling us more about, um, you know, how, how grains really kind of, I mean, you just kind of dove right in there with telling us you can track where the immigration came and, and where the people were from just by seeing what crops were there. So, um, what's kind of like your favorite, um, area in that range that you like to read about that you're interested in? I mean, you can track it all the way through the country. So where did you see most of that starting? When did that the, the people moving from Pennsylvania over into Kentucky, Tennessee area? And then what happened beyond there? So, I mean, I think you kind of have to take it back even farther. And what what fascinates me about bourbon, um, histologically speaking, is the fact that so many things had to happen perfectly for bourbon to be bourbon, right? With the corn, the wheat, the barley, all of that. Um, let's go back to the beginning and just go from the let's beginning. Let's do it. All right. So there is a theory out there in anthropology. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's beer versus bread. So yes. um, a couple thousand years ago, give or take a couple thousand years, um, cities all over the world started appearing um, at the same time. And before that, farming had taken place, right? So there was the agricultural revolution um, and anthropologists can't figure out exactly why cities within a hundred to 200 year period all started to appear all over the world. We're talking about like South America, um, Central Asia, Asia, Middle East, all at the same time. Like I said, again, within a couple hundred years. So there's this theory that there was like a, a big men mentality um, where they either provided beer or bread, the people um, that were in their communities. So some anthropologists think that beer is what brought culture together and other anthropologists think that it's bread and they still haven't, they go back and forth all the time, which is pretty amazing. I find that the, uh, the beer argument is more logical uh, personally, but because of the storage, uh, you know, aspect of things. Uh, and it makes sense that, you know, hey, you know, 10,000 years ago, the Egyptians all of a sudden, you know, had this grain and this liquid and all of a sudden it's, it's invented. Yeah, right. And it's hot. And how are we going to store this shit? Right. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and they and didn't have great ways of storing it necessarily up until that point. And and beer offered a, another alternative as far as a, a nutritive, you know, source, you know, uh, so. I, 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 and maybe I just like beer, but you know, I'm, I'm voting for beer, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm biased. Um, yeah, I think bit. that there, there's a lot of really good arguments for beer. Um, actually beer is what created 
the need for the straw. The ancient Egyptians actually created straws because of beer, and they used to pay the workers in beer, um, yes. which is absolutely fascinating. And if you've ever seen like seen any of the open fermentation tanks at any of the distilleries, um, on like the third or fourth day, you see all like that big cap of grains. Yep. I wouldn't want to just like. Yeah, it's just yeah. bubbling and yeah. Cool. It's a living thing, which is such a great thing to me. I mean, just it's so cool that that this whole process is a living, it's a living being and process. You know, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, there is a guy. Um, he is a molecular anthropologist out of the University of Penn. Um, so when I really Ooh. started going down the rabbit hole of um, weird things <laughs> in bourbon. <laughs> I, one of my good friends who runs the WSET, which is the Wines and Spirits Education Trust um, out of the US, um, not out of the UK. Um, he was like, hey, I think that you would really, really like to go see Patrick McGovern at the University of Penn. So he's like the Indiana Jones of booze. It's absolutely cool what he does. Um, so he actually teamed up with Dogfish Head to create the ancient ales. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he would go into burial chambers as an archaeologist um, and scrape the sides of the whatever, like, contemporary ah. rights um, and little containers, find out what it was, do chemical analysis and be like, oh, this was an ancient Chinese tomb and they had wine. Or, oh, this was from Turkey and this was this spirit. That's really, really cool. But also like like saving and conserving, being a conservator of like the ancient, uh, like you know, uh, molds and and not molds, but uh, you know, uh, uh, forgive me, my second chemical nature. compounds. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, uh, not molds. Come on, uh, beer. Uh, yeast. 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 There yeast. we go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've been doing maker's research all day. Don't mind us. That's uh, well, actually, not till just recently, but uh, it's that fascinates me because mm -hmm. there is a huge. I mean, anthropologically and also just you know uh, scientifically. I mean, there there's a, a huge history there that that I think has probably been barely touched. Right. I mean. Oh yeah. There's so many things. Every time I go down a different rabbit hole in this industry um, and think I'm starting to get a, a good feel of what, what's out there, I learn something completely new. Uh, yeah. when, I first, when I first took this job, um, one of my coworkers, um, we were on a text thread together and he said, hey, I was out in Kansas. He was like, I had no idea that there were like 2000 different varieties of corn. And he was like, is anybody interested in corn? And of course, me, I was like, yes, I'm totally interested in corn. Yes, he was like, have at it. Um, so I got connected to Seth Murray out of Texas A&M. Um, and we corresponded via email for about six months. And then I went down to Texas A&M. And they're doing some really, really cool things with corn. The history behind corn. I mean, that was, corn is genetically modified um, 8,000 years ago. So cool. Yeah. So cool. And Cahokia, have you guys heard of Cahokia Mounds? I've been there. Really? Did you like Southern it? Illinois. Was it cool? Oh, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing. So in 900 AD, I mean, and Cahokia was built um, around agriculture and corn. Yeah. And corn yeah. comes from Guatemala and Mexico. 
um, and it just migrated north, um, Hopi Indians, um, and then you have the Mississippian Indians, you have the Woodland and the Mound Builder Indians, and then also migrated south into the Amazon River Basin, just so cool. But yeah, Cahokia was bigger than London in 900 AD, more yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, that's so. crazy. Hey, uh, Pete, we were talking earlier today, and uh, you brought up an interesting fact about the uh, uh, first liquor really, um, you know, I guess mass produced, would you say? I mean, obviously there's people making stuff here or there, but the first big American liquor, you were just talking to me about that today. Yeah, Apple and uh, it was fascinating. Yeah, Applejack, uh, basically liquor out of apples. And um, I said, you know, that I know we said we we're going to talk about grains, but um, <clears throat> Pete was talking about that today. And what do you know about that, Greta? So that's actually the first distillery um, that was signed in with a distillery license by George Washington at Laird. Yes. yes. So, and Lisa Laird um, is still in charge of the family business. I had a chance to meet her um, and get to know wow. her when I was in Pittsburgh as a bartender. Yeah, she is absolutely amazing and their products awesome. are so cool. Um, and the, the really cool thing about that, I mean, we we think now in such broad terms about what goes into a whiskey and, and what makes this craft or that craft, it all started out as an agricultural product. And I know that John, you had asked me like why makers chose wheat mm -hmm. instead of any other flavoring grain. And mm -hmm. honestly, um, those decisions are made based on the farming practices around the distillery. So when mm -hmm. Bill sold off the Samuels distillery um, and purchased Burke Spring Mill, um, he looked around and saw who was producing what there's a ton of corn, of course, um, and Kentucky is known for wheat, not really rye. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to help out his neighbors. And I mean, that's what you do. Everybody kind of helps each other out. Um, and you use what's around you. It's a preservation method. Mm -hmm. So drink more. You won't age it. <laughs> Part of how I do Yeah. Now, the... Um, um... I just find it fascinating down there. I feel like I could spend like three months on the bourbon trail and just learn something new every day. But you were talking about finding all of these ancient recipes and it's just literally, I feel like once every month or two, you're reading about a new, a new, um, you know, settlement found underneath a, a sea or a lake and there's these pots. And now we're looking at like 200,000 years that they think, Hey, these <coughs> people might've been making alcohol on purpose even before, you know, we thought, the uh you know sumerians were doing it and then oh that might have been even before that people were aging and saving because they're finding yeast particles in these just like ancient yeah we're all yeah, losing I... words tonight pete i blame you um vases vases <laughs> and, and, yeah. yep um a lot of people so some people think that mead was one of the first alcohols um created because of honey and fermentation and things like that um versus beer um Kind of up in the air. I don't know enough about it, um, but there is evidence that Stone Age people were drinking alcohol mm. and actually like gathering around a fire. And I mean, that's the best thing about drinking alcohol, even today. Like you sit around a fire with the people that you care about, you solve all the world's problems and bond. Then you forget how you solved all the world's problems by the next <laughs> <laughs> and redo it again the next night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I have a question, uh, Greta, also uh, that. There is a, uh, I, what do you think about the, uh, and I, I, I've been reading, I actually, I think I turned John onto this book. It's a book uh, by a couple of guys who started a distillery in New York, in Brooklyn. Uh, 
in the late 90s and it was the first new distillery in the new york area in like 200 years uh and it's called how to make whiskey i think oh john i sent you the uh the, the 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 title of the book I can't remember what it what it was but it was it, it was kind of a combination it it was deceptive uh, as far as the title of the book goes it was a little bit of like how to make whiskey but it was also a kind of an expose of the entire modern whiskey industry right now and the, the thing that I found interesting was how many people source okay and I'm getting into some dirty territory maybe. Uh, source their their, uh, their their core product uh, or their, you know the uh, the, the juice. Uh, distillate yeah yeah the juice from Lawrenceburg Distillers Incorporated LDI they're the largest distiller in the world and uh, and you know we have local guys that are doing it too and I'm not not smearing them they have actually they're friends of mine they're doing a great job but uh, how does that you know, I guess two questions. How does that impact a family distillery like like Makers? You can take you the gloves for? off, Pete. It's okay. You can take the gloves off. I you just can ask did, the hard man. questions. It's okay. I just did. And uh, and secondly, what do you, what's your personal opinion, maybe above and beyond your position with, with the corporation, um, as far as how that uh, waters down? Uh, does that water down anything? Or is that... How is that okay? Is is that okay? Is that okay? I guess. So, I think I'll take the the second question first, and then remind me of the first question. So, my okay. personal opinion, okay. my per honest personal opinion, as long as the distillery discloses what they're doing and the fact that they're sourcing their whiskey, okay. have at it. If it's a great distillate. Um, and it's aged and matured properly and it tastes really good. And that's exactly what they're looking for. Do it. Just be honest about it. Right. Like, I, I think that that all of us kind of want to know, like, that the people that are selling things to us are being transparent about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, nothing's worse when you pick up a bottle and you're reading the label and it's talking about how it's a fourth generation recipe passed on. And then you dig into the company and realize they're four years old and it's all, uh, you know, manufactured in Indiana. Right. And, and just be honest. Yeah. Just be honest. And it's OK, because there's one of my favorite brewers in the whole state, Speciation out of Grand Rapids. You know, um, he's a blender and an ager. And he wants nothing to do with brewing. I don't know if they're brewing now, but he didn't the first several years. He just buys cubes of wort from people. He'll call a brewery and say, hey, I need, you know, 1,200 gallons of wort. I'll buy it from you. And he goes and picks <laughs> it up, takes it back, and then he adds it to his barrels. And he adds his own yeast. And he adds, you know, he just wants to cellar and blend and, and age. And he's like, brewing is boring. And I got to imagine there's a lot of people in the distilling world that are like, I don't really care. I just want the liquid and I want to age it with my oak and my, you know, particular blends of, of air and humidity and, and flavors. And I don't care about actually making the liquor. Right. Well, a lot of it now is just expense. I mean, if you think about it, what we did at Maker's Mark back in 1953, I can't imagine a distillery doing that now. So Bill Jr. or excuse me, Bill Sr., sold his family's distillery, bought a brand new distillery, started with a brand new yeast and a brand new mash bill and said, I'm going to create a, a craft bourbon. They didn't even start making money until the 80s. They didn't wow. make a profit. 
So could you imagine investing in somebody today and it costs quite a few million dollars to start a distillery and then waiting seven, 10 years before you even sell a drop of it. So to start out, I think that that now, unless you have just massive amounts of capital, um, it makes sense. And even if you do have massive amounts of capital, um, you don't wanna just sit there for seven to 10 years. You wanna get things moving now. And a lot of people have done that. So like I said, just the transparency, I think is key there. Um, as for us, um, it hasn't really affected us. Um, we've always been true to taste and flavor. We've always had one mash bill. We've always done things very slow. Um, <laughs> kind of, some of the things we do don't seem to make sense. Um, like I said, we didn't make money until the 1980s. So when we're not going to change. So <laughs> we didn't even introduce Maker's Mark 46 until 2010. <laughs> so right from 1959 until the bill and margie um retired and handed the business over to bill jr nothing changed and the one rule that they gave bill jr when they handed over the keys to the distillery was don't screw up the whiskey not exactly in those words but that's what they said to him and he never changed anything until yeah. he was getting ready to retire in 2010. Yeah. so we've always been about that taste and flavor vision and I, I think that the issue with a lot of new companies, they look to the competition to see what they should be doing versus somebody like the guy from Speciation. He knows exactly what he wants to do and he's really passionate about it and he's honest about it. That's really all it takes. I mean, and he has a skill. It's delicious. Oh yeah, his stuff is amazing. But they, you know, I know a lot of winemakers that are the same way. They're like, I don't want to tend the fields. I don't want to pick the harvest. I just want to blend and age and experiment. Yeah. So I and don't have any are... problem with that either. Buy your juice. Who cares? Just tell people, hey, I didn't, I didn't grow it on this estate. So. There's a lot of rye makers that, that I know of that are not necessarily transparent about where they get their juice, and uh, and they're uh, tr you know trumped up and. Uh, you know, maybe that's the wrong word. Uh, they are fluffed up, uh, and uh, maybe you know, in a, in a, a deceptive kind of way. As far as you know, it's all branding. You know, I mean, it's not all branding. Uh, you know, mind you. And by the way, I think the reason you started turning a profit in the '90s is because I started drinking Makers in the '90s. So, <laughs> personally, <laughs> and honestly. Uh, that comes from Mackinac Island, as a matter of fact. My good friend uh, Timothy McCleary, uh, who is the, uh, the runs the Mackinac Island Yacht Club, uh, was the guy who turned me on to Makers about 30 years ago. But uh, I have a question, actually, from another friend of mine on, Mac on Mackinac Island who uh, just texted me, and he wanted to know is the water treated or purified in any way? You know, I mean, you hear the whole charcoal pure purification or filtering as far as like Jack Daniels? I mean, does Makers do that? And I should know because I've done the tour and I'm an ambassador. So so you should definitely go back um, as soon as possible because we are doing some really, really cool things at the distillery. But before I sidetrack myself, which I always do, I want to answer this question. Um, so we have two lakes on the property, which is why um, Bill Sr. and Margie purchased the land. Um, it's about a thousand acres total. Um, that's how big the distillery is at this point. And the two lakes, there's a nine acre lake and a 14 acre lake. Um, they're limestone spring fed. 
And to this day, that water, the water that we put in our fermentation tank, whether it's to grow our yeast in the donut um, or to ferment, um, comes directly from that lake. It's and it's just screen filtered. So there are some stories back in the day, and I wasn't around for these, but I've heard them, um, where the screen would break and there would be like, every once in a while, you'd find a fish in the fermentation tank. This was a long time ago. But, awesome. Um, so, that's so, that's how, so that's one layer of um, filtration. So not too much filtration there. Like we make sure like the, the larger particulates are out, um, but it's all spring fed water. Um, and then when we proof down, um, we actually use RO water, which is reverse osmosis water. Um, okay. That And that's normal in the industry. So you don't want any yeah. specific yeah. flavors or anything like that coming through. Um, so we do a um, three-day fermentation, um, double distillation. So our first distillation is through a 16-plate um, column still. Um, that first distillation goes to 120 proof. The second distillation is a pot still or a thumper. Um, or a doubler, they're all the same thing. Um, and that goes to 130 proof. So we distill to pretty low proof. Um, other, to be a bourbon, you can distill all the way up to 160, but we wanna maintain the integrity of the flavor of our grains. Um, that's why we distill to just 130. Then we proof it down um, with RO water to 110, and that's our barrel fill strength. So when um, we mature it, we hand rotate our barrels, we mature it five to seven years, and then when we dump it, um, the classic makers gets proofed down to 90 proof. Right. The cast comes out anywhere between 108 and 114, depending on the weather, um, the seasonality and where it was matured. Um, but when we proof that down, um, this is chill filtered. Nothing else is chill filtered. And we don't do like a charcoal filtration, anything like that. Um, but this okay. is the only one that's chill filtered. Everything else is non-chill filtered. And it's basically like a screen or a soft filter that just takes out the larger particulate. And when you see, when every once in a while with the wood finishing series, the 46 or the um, Maker's Mark private selections, you'll actually see some of the black tar in the bottom of the bottle. Um, awesome. That doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's really, really good. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Hello from Keith Schmidt, Pete. Pete Schmidt? Keith oh, Keith. Schmidt. Oh, Keith yeah. Schmidt. My friend Keith in Detroit. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, Plymouth, I think, or Canton. Uh, it, one of my bourbon uh, lovers, Michigan chapter buddies. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're are chiming in, Keith. Yeah, I like it. Hey, Keith, keep an eye on the comment section. I'll be sharing the uh, stream feed as we do near the end of the show to invite the first, um, you know, however many people want to come in on screen and give us a cheers at the end. We're going to wrap up fairly soon here um so it's funny that you were talking about how makers mark um you know they they said don't don't mess anything up and they really haven't changed anything in you know a hundred years basically and um and i told you that it was it was really fun to go down there and have bill give that tour and basically um so gosh that was 2016 <clears throat> as i look at my bottle to confirm so that means when we went down the first time it was 2010 um, or 2009, 2010, somewhere in that range, but while well, we signed the program. So that's when all the big changes were happening. Um, and I remember getting on that bus and riding around with Bill, and I told you this when we were talking uh, uh, last week, but it was very clear that he was 50-50 excited and irritated 
about the changes <laughs> going around on the farm. Cause he, he very clearly was like, you know, I took this over from my father who, you know, they purchased it from this person and we've never changed anything. And the process has always been the same and, and nothing's ever different. And it's the same buildings we've always used and the same, you know, everything we've always used. And then he goes, and then, you know, my son is doing this over here. And he's like, no, 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 it's great. It's great. It's great. But you could tell he was kind of on the fence of whether he was mad that Rob was, you know, making a bunch of changes or, or really excited about the changes. And I'm sure it was a combination because it's so weird to probably see, you know, 50 years of your life um, start to change as soon as you walk away. Yeah. And I mean, that still happens today. I was mm -hmm. down at the distillery uh, the very first week in March. And Bill is still doing tours. I love um, it. He doesn't, he doesn't like sign up for the Thursday tour um, as much. Um, but he was taking some friends around and I was supposed to. So now you can actually tour up by the lake. If you're doing a barrel selection with Maker's Mark private selection, um, you can go up to the lake. Um, it's a beautiful lake house. It just got completed this year. Absolutely gorgeous. Looks out over the water source. I mean, there's really nothing better than drinking Maker's Mark, like looking out over the lake. It, it's just absolutely sublime. But I was supposed to, there's these little um, solar powered golf carts that you have to take to get up there. Um, and he had stolen it. And I really can't complain because it's his distillery, right? And he's <laughs> taking his friends around. So I said to the tour that I was with, I was like, well, we're going to walk up there today. And it's about three quarters of a mile. We were all panting by the time we were done, but he's still... He's still at the distillery, um, pops in every day that he feels like it, and he still has so much love for it. So I can totally see that. I mean, there are so many stories with um, with Bill Jr. Um, one of the other diplomats was on a tour with him, the Gilligan Island tour. And um, as you walk through that final tasting, on a normal tour, you go through that tasting room and then you walk into the gift shop. And when you open that one door at the end of the tasting, um, on, on the ceiling is a Chihuly and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, so Bill stopped his tour right there and he said, Hey guys, y'all want to see a $1.2 million light bulb? And everybody's like, <laughs> that my son put in. <laughs> and so they walk in and they see this gorgeous Chihuly. Um, so that's one of the stories. There's another story. Um, and this just happened, uh, last year. It was so funny. We have weekly calls with the distillery just to make sure that we're still up on everything that's going on. Um, when the ice storm happened a couple of weeks ago, we were getting like daily updates on the snow plows coming through and things like that. So it's really cool. <laughs> but um, Jane called us and she was just, she was laughing and she couldn't control it. And she said, oh my God. She said, Bill Jr. was doing a tour and we have just put up a, a new um, statue over by Star Hill Farm P Provisions where we have like lunches and dinners and things like that. Is that where and, I'm sitting right now? Um, so that's actually right behind you is the distillery. <laughs> so that's the fermentation room and the distillery. And that super tall building is where the um, column still goes all the way up. Yeah. Um, Smells so, so good in there. Yeah, it's over a little bit. Um, it's over by Whiskey Creek. And um, we just put in a, a huge new sculpture and it's of limestone. And Bill takes a tour and he walks over the little bridge and he said, hey, guys. I want to show you my tombstone. He goes, for a small fee, you too could be buried here at the distillery. <laughs> well, everybody was really excited. <laughs> and they started, like the very next day, all the ambassadors are like, I would like to be yeah. buried at Maker's Mark. 
<laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> Jane couldn't control her laughter on the phone. It was hilarious. And Rob was like, dad, you can't say that. He's like, what? <laughs> I mean, it, it's such a family and it's such a fun dynamic um, because it is still really a small business. I, I love it so much. I, I really enjoyed um, going. My favorite part was probably we got to the end and um, it was 2016. I don't know there. I don't think there was anything brand new he was sharing, but I uh, got to go into that really fancy uh, tasting room where there's just rooms and rooms and rooms. And it looks like they maybe do like focus groups or something in there because it looked like just a whole row of kind of tasting rooms. And and uh, that was the end of the tour. And basically he's like, all right, now we're just going to do a quick tasting. I think we were in there for an hour and 15 minutes talking about the five quarter ounce pours that he gave us. So it was um, everything about it. And it just shows, and it's, it's fantastic to see that. And the hospitality, <clears throat> I think that if you haven't been to Kentucky, the hospitality that you get at each distillery, and I think that makers is head and shoulders above all of the other ones. I'm definitely biased. Um, but the hospitality that you receive is, is part of it, right? I mean, everybody wants to share exactly what they do and what their families have been doing and their friends because they've all worked at the distillery for years together. That's so great. I love it. And, you know, as as people kind of develop and, and chase bourbons and get into the scene, you know, I'm not I'm not going to lie. They move away from Mark Maker's Mark a lot. Um, and there's a lot of great whiskey out there, tons of it. And I've been down to a lot of different places. I, I've been down to... Um, I'd probably say maybe a dozen other distilleries and they all are fun in their own way, but there is nothing like the Maker's Mark tour. Just absolutely nothing like it. I remember when we went down in 2010, it was before um, GPS was as good as it is today. And I remember the webpage itself was like, <laughs> do not trust your GPS, print no. out the directions. <laughs> and we're driving down, right? 2010, we're driving down. I've got my I got my phone, you know, clipped to the thing and it's, and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like it shows you the road and there's a little blue dot and we're getting about, I don't know, seven miles out, six miles out. And all of a sudden the road disappears from the GPS screen. The blue dot's still there and the arrow of your car still there. And it just starts doing this. Like they go around each other and I'm like, I don't know where we're at. And then like, I see a sign that says to makers and I turn on it and I think I didn't take the main. So the main road, you kind of come up over a hill and there's this giant sign that says, like, welcome to makers, Mark. And yeah. it's beautiful. And I have a picture from 2010 of my uh, wife and I as secret lovers at the time standing in front of it. And then another picture, same picture there from 2016. But I know we missed it. And I remember seeing another sign saying makers, Mark, and we, we must have come up from the non-public side. And it was like this winding road, no big enough for more than one car with an occasional spot that you could pull over if another car was coming. And I just remember seeing like goats and sheep and cow everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know where the hell we are. We are legit lost. And then we kind of roll up over a hill and all of a sudden you see the lake, you see the distillery, you see the I'm whole like, oh, thing. Jesus, and, like, thank you. <laughs> and on top of that, it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. And no offense to, you know, going around to some of the other places. They're they're fun. But a lot of them are just like gray brick buildings. And it's cool. And you go in and it smells like bourbon. But there is no place like Makers. No, there's a real sense of place. And um, decision. you know that decisions were made to, to build a distillery here for, for a reason. Because, and I joke all the time with people because I host people at the distillery regularly um, in so just about four weeks ago, I had people down and I always joke that there's not a front way to makers. There's a back way 
and a back back way. And it sounds like you went the back back way. The back back um, way. Yes, the back back way. Yeah. And um, I, I will say the 2016 cleaner. route was much easier, much cleaner. Uh, the GPS worked. It actually got me there. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, you're going to have to go down and see all of the new things. So we have been busy. Rob has been busy with the distillery. Um, we have a new bridge going in that has no mortar whatsoever. It's all limestone. Um, we have a designer from Scotland that came in. They're actually making it like a barrel vaulted bridge, which is gorgeous. That was under construction when I was there last. Beautiful. Um, and we're having a new um, office building. So you guys have seen the old office building, which is Bill's office, Rob's office, Jane's office. Um, that's going to stay there, but they're building a brand new building on and on the top floor is going to be a rooftop bar. Um, and oh, then the nice. bottom, yeah, the bottom vestibule is going to be um, an homage to Margie. Um, and it's going to be all stained glass, which I can't wait to see it. That should be done That's sometime awesome. this year. Yeah. All right, Pete, when that's done, um, we're getting on the road. We're going to meet Greta down there, and we're going to remote yes. broadcast from the farm. Yes, we will. And, Greta, I have a question for my friend Keith in Detroit, actually, who is, uh, I, I would say, actually, Keith is a bourbon influencer in the metro Detroit area, okay? So Keith is actually asking uh, if there's going to be, he's going to be down uh, with his wife at the end of May, uh, hoping that tours are going to be open, wondering you guys have any idea? Yeah, so tours are open right now. Um, oh, they are good. limited. So we just expanded them. I want to say it's 15 or 16 people right now um, okay. at the moment. And I could be wrong about this, but I don't believe we're doing tours on Monday. Um, okay. So later in the week is always better. Usually like a Wednesday through a Saturday. Those are good days to do the tour. Um, let me know when you're going down. Honestly, um, I'll buy you lunch, Keith. Um, send you to the oh. Star Hill Provisions. And you can check everything out. Um, if you want to do a trade tour, let me know. That's what we're here for. Oh, sounds awesome. amazing. Awesome. Sounds amazing. All right. Anybody who is listening, if you go look at the comment section of where you are listening from, I posted a link in there. Um, if anybody would like to join us on screen for a little uh, a goodbye cheers, I would appreciate it. Um, I do believe that my friend Rachel Burns is trying to connect right now, who is going to be on the show in uh, our special guest in two weeks from today on the next episode to talk about Richard Nixon. Um, waiting for her to see if she shows up. So I'll give everybody a little bit of time. If you are listening live and you want to jump on screen with us and raise a glass to Greta and thank her for coming. Um, we're going to be doing that. And the, um, the link is in the comments of wherever you are watching. That would be fantastic. Have you so, guys seen the new website? Uh, I haven't, which I am ashamed to say. I'm going to have uh, to go check it out. Probably two months since I've been to the website. So Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely check out the website. Um, if you want to sign up to be an ambassador, like if you absolutely love it, like you two guys obviously do, um, highly recommend signing up as an ambassador. Um, if not, you can just find cool recipes. You can find the history, the heritage, all of that. Um, anything you want to find on the website. Let me tell you, the, the ambassador thing is the smartest thing that the, that the Samuels family ever did because I so was smart. unaware of it. Uh, and my daughters were the ones that signed me up like years ago. And I, it's, I, I have so much swag from Maker's Mark. <laughs> I mean, I have everything from like 2008 on. I think. Well, let's talk I about have, that, Pete, because even if you're not a bourbon fan, you sign up, you get a Christmas present every year. 
and did you get the cards you, this and, year? Oh yes, I, I did. Oh yeah. Oh, were oh. they all there? Come on. Are I, you I, playing I, with the full deck of cards? <laughs> hey, my friends, what? real my quick, I, I want to. Oh, go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, my wife and I were on vacation up in the Upper Peninsula the last week. We just got back yesterday, and we played cards with Mark deck every single freaking night. Oh and yeah. I've that's worn them out. Like Mine my are favorite gone. deck of cards. Yeah. They're quality cards too, by yeah. the way. But, I wore them out. I, mean, I wore them out. But I have all of the Christmas stuff, all of the the, the sweaters for the bottles, oh, yeah. and like the, the little Christmas heads, gifts. You know. Yep. Oh, and the Christmas <laughs> wrapping paper, and the, the, the like so many things. I have a stainless Brilliant. steel shaker for cocktails. Oh, yeah. and Like all the, of that the stuff. golf ball it's size so... ice maker. Yep, those are nice. Oh yeah. All right, real They're, quick, Pete. What a great uh, company. I'm going to bring my friend Rachel in here. Uh, Rachel Burns, how are you? I'm I'm great. Hey, I'm great. I'm listening to Pete, man. All I've got is is the Maker's Mark bottle, right? The the 46. I get I get excited about that. Rachel, I, I need all the sign up. Sign oh, up, man. Sign, sign up, up for the ambassador program on their webpage. It's free, and uh, you get a yeah, lot of yeah. great um, gifts. It's a lot of fun. So Rachel is a history buff and a trivia buff, of course. Uh, <laughs> Becoming more and more famous for getting to be on Jeopardy with Alex before he passed. And uh, I, I can't awesome. wait to uh, pull some of those clips and uh, show you on there. I'll try to remember to keep the ones you got wrong off of those clips. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. So uh, Rachel's coming on the very next episode, Seriously. two weeks from tonight, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And we are going to talk about the Richard Nixon administration. I can't wait. I can't wait. The most overrated and the most underrated president of our time. At well, the same time. But <laughs> <laughs> the most progressive Republican since Teddy Roosevelt. I can't yeah. wait, man. Yeah, it'll be very fun. Well, I know that you're, uh, I'm interrupting your movie night. I want to let you go, but I just wanted to come on and, and say hi and, and cheers to you, Rachel. We'll see you in two weeks, okay? Thank you, guys. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. 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 And uh, awesome. So let's uh, have a good night, Rachel. And then uh, Keith Schmidt right here to say uh, cheers. Can you, hear us? can you hear us, Keith? Hey, Keith. I don't know. I don't know if he can hear us, but he's on the screen. Oh, you have the RC6. There you go. Oh. I love it. Cheers. You rotten bastard. I'm, I'm jealous. Yes. I love it. Well, cheers, Keith. We appreciate you. And uh, you put up with Pete, so you must be an okay guy. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> cheers yeah. to you, sir. Cheers. Oh. Yeah. I know. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. All right. <laughs> it is a struggle. Uh, cheers, Keith. Thanks for watching. We appreciate you, too. I love it. All right. Well, I'm happy we had a few people chime in. Uh, Greta, is, did we miss anything else you wanted to talk about before we sign off? Oh, I mean, there's so much weird stuff to talk about grain, but we can do that in a different episode or a different weird history episode for sure. There I know. We, we meant to get into grain, and then we just kept talking about Bill because he's so fascinating. Yeah. It always it always has twists and turns. That's how whiskey and conversations go. Right. It's truly it's the that's why we call it whiskey and history. So, <laughs> history, love it. Uh, history. Well, we really appreciate you, and I mean it. I would love to come down and do a show from the farm. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys are more than welcome. If we can do it, we'll do it. I will warn you that the um, the technology and the the um, signal at the distillery is not always the best you take right. one step to the right and it's just gone yeah well you know we can always just record and then uh, edit and post another time so we can do that <laughs> or maybe you know we could get elon musk to put a starlink in for you guys 
that would be <laughs> that would be great. That would be Love great it. if he could do that. That would be Grant. It's such a pleasure to meet you virtually. Seriously, for sure. And next time I'm up north, I will come visit for sure. Oh, please, yeah, please. Do. Pete's playing live music in fine establishments at least uh, four nights a week all summer long. So you should definitely get up there. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll be up in Traverse City at least once or twice this summer, and I'll probably make it over to Boyne at least once. Excellent. Well, yeah. find Pete on Facebook and reach out. He's always there. Well, I really appreciate you. On behalf of Justin, who took the night off, I am a Johnny Danger, of course. Uh, Pete, we are on ilogicmedia.com. Make sure you go over there, check it out. We've got about 15, 16, 17 shows over there. Um, we love it. We've got a, a several shows coming up, two weeks. Of course, Rachel Burns, who just joined us briefly. Um, we'll be talking about the Nixon administration. And then I believe, uh, let me see. Three and a half weeks after that, we'll be doing um, uh, with Mickey Lyons. We'll be doing Mayor Pingree the Man and Mayor Pingree yes. the Liquor. We got a bottle of 13-year Mayor Pingree. I'll be um, uh, opening and sharing and uh, enjoying that. And then I believe the next regularly scheduled show after that, Pete, is the Mormon King of Beaver Island. Yay. And I will be part of that one. Yes, that'll be a great show. So I appreciate it. Greta, thank you so much for coming on. Thank really you so appreciate you. And uh, and next time you see Darshan, yell at him and tell him he should have come on with us. For sure. Will right. do. I appreciate that. Have a good night, everyone. Cheers. 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 Guys. Cheers.